Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Brittany. Welcome to Mystery and Merlot. I hope everybody's having a good weekend. Um, tonight's case is um, one that's still kind of unfolding, uh, even though finally the correct killer is behind bars. Uh, so without further ado, we'll get into it. In June of 1996, 18-year-old Angie Dodge was a victim of a brutal rape and murder inside her Idaho Falls home. Her body was discovered in her bedroom on the floor next to a pile of stuffed animals and her own bed. Her pants were pulled down to just above her knees and her shirt was lifted up exposing her breast and the knife wound made just above one of her breasts. Angie had just recently moved out on her own three weeks before her murder. Apparently, this occurred after a disagreement between Angie and her mother over violations of house rules, causing her to decide to leave her mother's house and move out on her own. Uh, Angie had actually just visited her mother, Carol, for the first time in three weeks on the day of her murder. The two seemed to reconcile and everything seemed to be, you know, just fine. The crime scene had plenty of DNA evidence left behind. There were hairs and uh, semen collected at the scene. DNA processing told police that both samples of the DNA, the hair, and the semen belonged to the same suspect. There were approximately 100 DNA samples collected during the original investigation. But none of those samples matched the DNA that was left at Angie's crime scene. Ben Hobbs was a friend of Angie's. They had been a part of the same group to hang out. Um, you know, when you're young like that, you are, you know, a large group of people typically prone to hang out together. And it's usually the same people. And, you know, you might be closer with some than others, but you're all, you know, kind of acquaintances and friends. And that was kind of the case in, in this situation. Uh... Ben became a suspect in Angie Dodge's murder after he was arrested for uh, raping a woman at Knife Point in Nevada. Police also brought in Christopher Tapp, who was part of the same group that they were all friends with. Now, Chris Tapp was 20 at the time of the murders. He was questioned for over 60 hours. He underwent multiple polygraph tests. And even though Chris's DNA didn't match that from the crime scene, police were sure that he was involved in Angie's death. Chris Tapp eventually confessed to the rape and murder of Angie Dodge and in May of 1998 was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years to life. Now, Carol Dodge, Angie's mother, 
found it very difficult to handle the thought of there being someone else involved in her daughter's death still out there on the street. After all, even though there was a confession from Chris, Chris Tapp's DNA was not a match to the DNA at the crime scene. Therefore, there was someone else. There was someone else still out there, still free, that had been involved in her daughter's death. The police themselves repeatedly asserted that they felt that there were multiple offenders involved. So, what could a mother do? Carol Dodge started investigating on her own. She repeatedly contacted the police throughout the years. Carol even watched the 60 plus hours of police interrogation of Chris Tapp. After a while, it became apparent to Carol that Chris did not have anything to do with her daughter's death. Not only did Chris not know the specific details that Angie's killers killer would know, he had repeatedly been led by police in his grueling, continuous, and exhausting interrogation. Police also even threatened and intimidated Chris during the multiple questionings and polygraphs. They threatened him with the death penalty, the gas chamber, life in prison. They led him to what room the crime was committed in, to how the crime unfolded. These details were not known to Chris, and had he been involved in this crime, these are details that he would have known. Not that he would have been asked the question, but then, you know, he said that I believe that her body was found in the living room, and then the police said, no, 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 she was in the bedroom. And then he eventually said, oh, yeah, in the bedroom. This is not the way that this should have gone. Carol Dodge actually ended up contacting Chris's attorney, who was not his original attorney um, at the time that he was uh, interrogated, that he was sentenced. He had obtained new counsel. And when Carol contacted this attorney, she suggested that he take a look at the footage of which only a small portion of that footage had actually been viewed by the jurors during the original trial. Chris's attorney witnessed the same horrific sights that Carol had. Police telling Chris where the body was, leading him to the location of the house itself and the details of the crime. After 20 years in prison, multiple denied appeals, Christopher Tapp was actually released from prison. There had been an agreement between Chris's defense team and the prosecution. The rape charges were dropped and Chris was released. Although he was now a free man, Chris Tapp was still technically a convicted murderer. And as you might imagine, this made his life his ability to find work, difficult, plus just the emotional trauma of knowing you are innocent of this crime, but still in the public eye being guilty.
Carol, through her tenaciousness, reached out to Cece Moore. Cece is a world-renowned gene genealogist who helped find a suspect from the DNA left behind at Angie's crime scene. Police had preserved the DNA evidence from all the many years ago. After the original officers on the case had all retired, in October of 2017, Captain Bill Squires took over Angie's case, and Captain Squires was contacted by Cece and her lab to offer assistance to law enforcement with the case. And thankfully, Mr. Squires was, or Captain Squires was not too proud to accept the help, and I believe he honestly wanted answers, and he wasn't willing to accept just the status quo from his predecessors. The DNA from Angie's case was somewhat degraded, which did not produce excellent results. Cece and her lab had hoped for better, but it did provide a list of distant relatives matching the DNA from Angie's murder. Cece used the list of matches to build a family tree. She actually created two genetic networks, and where the two networks crossed would be the descendants who would end up being the possible suspects in Angie's rape and murder. Cece found that the person responsible for the crimes against Angie Dodd would be a descendant of Clarence Usury and Cleo Landrum. This led to a list of six men. Five of the six men lived out of state, but one man did reside in Idaho. Cece utilized not only DNA, but public records and newspaper archives, scouring birth announcements, marriage records, and death records. And the one man out of the six possible matches seemed like a solid lead, so Cece gave the information to the police. And the police investigators attempted a, convert, a covert undercover mission to obtain the DNA from the suspect. Now, the first day was basically a bust, but the second day, after kind of following this guy around, uh, the suspect ended up having expired tags on his vehicle. So, working with state troopers, they hatched a plan to pull over the suspect based on his expired tags and obtain a voluntary breathalyzer test. Now, this test would allow for the collection of the suspect's DNA from the um, piece that goes on the end that he blows into. And as long as it's a voluntary uh, breathalyzer and they aren't um, unnecessarily without cause subjecting him to this, then there's no real issue in this scenario. So the DNA was collected by the officers and it was sent off for testing. But when the results came back, it's seemed like they eliminated their suspect rather than condemn him. And how was that even possible? Cece and the investigators and Angie's mom, they were all shocked. This was not what they were expecting at all. Cece knew that the science was on her side and she had done the work. 
so she went back to the drawing board. There had to be something she missed. So she took another look at the family tree and she found that there was a seventh previously unknown descendant from the same couple. There was a marriage that had occurred between two teenagers. Now, while years and years and years ago, it might have been very common for people to marry at a very young age. At the time when this couple married, it was less common. And really the only reason for them to marry as 16-year-olds would have been an unplanned pregnancy. And so Cece kept searching. The couple did have a child. Uh, they actually had ended up divorced. And the son that came from that marriage had ended up taking his stepfather's name, which is part of the reason that Cece wasn't able to find him in her original go-around. So, uh, this child had to be their man. The investigators again covertly obtained DNA. They actually uh, collected a discarded cigarette that he just threw down, and that is what they used to collect DNA. This, DNA, this cigarette was sent off for DNA, and when the results came back, it did, in fact, show that police finally had their man. The correct man this time. Now, the man was Brian L. Drips. Now, Brian had been 30 years old at the time of the rape and murder of Angie Dodge. He had been in the middle of a divorce, and he had a child on the way. He had minor previous offenses on his criminal record, and Drips had had a permit for a conceal and carry. At the time of the crime, Brian had conveniently lived across the street from Angie Dodge. Police confronted Brian Drips outside of a bank, and Brian agreed to meet with the Idaho Falls police investigators at the Caldwell Police Department. The interview went on for approximately five and a half hours, all the while Brian denied any involvement in Angie's death. Then he decided that he needed a smoke break. And by the time he came back in from his smoke break, he must have had a change of heart because he confessed to Angie's murder. Brian told police that he had only aimed to rape Angie, and he did not know that he had killed her, but he guessed he must have. He said that he was high on cocaine and alcohol at the time, and although he doesn't remember murdering her, he did carry a pocket knife. Finally, after 23 years, police had had, had the right man in custody. A press conference was held announcing the findings to the public. Chris Tapp who had been wrongly convicted, was present at the May 2019 press conference. In July of 2019, Chris Tapp was finally exonerated of the crimes that he had been wrongfully convicted all those many years ago, and Carol Dodge was present and pleased at the exoneration of the man who she, was, who she had known for so many years, was innocent of the slaying of her daughter. In February of 2021, 
Brian Drips pleaded guilty to the murder and rape of Angie Dodge. And at his plea hearing, uh, after he pled guilty, he was expected to be sentenced by late April of 2021, which would have just passed the past couple of days. As of now, um, it is not known what his sentence is. It is possible that due to the pandemic, his sentencing has gotten a little bit delayed. Uh, Chris Tapp has filed a civil suit against Idaho Falls and the seven former police officers responsible for his wrongful conviction. And I can't say that I am surprised nor that I would not have done the same. This young man was 20 years old, basically still a child, when he was detained for hours upon hours upon hours and just interrogated and mentally battered. And there, even the most intelligent, innocent, calculating person, if they were detained for the length of time that Chris Tapp had been and coerced in such a way that he was and under such psychological trauma, there's no telling what the average innocent person might wrongly confess to. And the police did not look any further. They did not investigate. They knew his DNA did not match. But they were willing to send him down that road, possibly to death row. They didn't know he wasn't going to get the death sentence when they charged him, when they put him on trial, when he was found guilty. They had no idea. And he could have lost his life in the 20 years that he was waiting for the correct person to finally be found. And that is so unforgivable. Angie's mom is such an amazing trooper. Like, I cannot imagine the tenacity that Carol had to constantly be after everybody and not to give up until she found the truth. And the fact that she, it wasn't her job. She was a victim in this as much as her daughter was a victim in this. And it wasn't her job to have to do all of this. And had the investigators that were originally involved in the case done what they were supposed to do, then maybe she wouldn't have had to have spent so many years of her life championing this cause. In fact, the I think it was the maybe the 2020 uh, interview that I had watched regarding this case where she said she could finally enjoy her grandkids and get to know them because she had put this craziness behind her because the truth 
had come out and justice was finally being served. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having deprived your other three children and your grandchildren of you all this time because you're having to do something that you shouldn't have had put on you? It's just mind-boggling to me. So that's why I really want I really champion for the truth and I really want this podcast to help somehow cast a light on justice for the victims and their families and justice for those who are wrongfully accused because this isn't the first case that we've talked about on Mystery Merlot where the wrong person has been incriminated for really no good reason. So anyway... I just want to say thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Hope you guys have a good rest of your weekend. You can listen to us on Spotify, on Spreaker, on Deezer, on Google Podcast, basically anywhere that you listen to your podcast. You can send us an email for uh, future show ideas at mysteryandmerlot.gmail at gmail.com. You can check out our website at mysteryandmerlot.godaddysites.com. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.